0: Welcome to Comic Book Podcast Pilot Season Day 3. Today we're talking about comic book physics, and this is an idea that was suggested by one of our readers. It is going to be more of a physics podcast, just with comic book trappings and comic book examples. But as a math and physics teacher by day, no matter how much I hold back, a lot of the physics teaching is going to come through. So the first topic we're going to discuss is the concept of flight. Paying particular attention to Thor but with his second movie having just come out. And also because this is one where the writer who created him or co-created him had a specific plan in mind to make sure that the science was more solid with Thor than the rest. He was trying to get completely solid science. Didn't quite get there. So Stanley often says that he always knew there's a problem with Superman in the way he flies. And he tried to fix that problem when he was designing Thor. The problem really boils down to conservation of momentum. When an object is in motion, it carries momentum, which is mathematically the product of velocity and mass. So you take your velocity, velocity, which is speed and direction, multiplied by the mass of the object, you get your momentum. So if you have a 2 kilogram object moving at 3 meters per second to the north, Your momentum is 2 times 3, which is 6 kilogram meters per second, also directed north. Momentum does have a direction as well. Massless particles can have momentum too, but that's another story. It doesn't really apply to the rest of today's discussion. In short, to move in any direction, you must change your momentum. So your speed can remain constant, but you still need to change your momentum if you're changing direction. So if you're moving in a circle, the magnitude of the momentum. So that six we were talking about in the previous example, that six kilogram meters per second, that part doesn't change, but the direction does. So there has to be a force involved in that. And that goes back to Isaac Newton and his laws. Isaac Newton first laid out the three laws of motion in 1687 in the Principia Mathematica. So unlike a lot of science from that era, the laws really are treated as laws. It's rare in general that anything gets called a law anymore. They get theory, and that's about the highest level label that applies. Because there have simply been too many cases in the past where we have learned things that overturned previous notions that we were referring to as laws. So they are theories, and the theories are either rejected or supported as data comes in. Newton's three laws of motion still stand today. So to quote them as they are phrased on Wikipedia, rather than digging up the original because, frankly, I don't know if I could read it. It's in Latin. The first law says, When viewed in an inertial reference frame, an object either is at rest or moves at a constant velocity, unless acted upon by an external force. It's velocity instead of constant speed because direction does matter. The second law says the acceleration of a body is directly proportional to and in the same direction as the net force acting on the body and inversely proportional to its mass. Thus, Force equals mass times acceleration, or F equals MA, where F is the net force acting on the object, M is the mass of the object, and a is the acceleration of the object. Now, force and acceleration also include directions. And the third law that Newton laid out, which is still treated as a law today, is that when one body exerts a force on a second body, the second body simultaneously exerts a force equal in magnitude and opposite in direction to that of the first body. That does assume that the bodies are rigid. Right? If you crush a can, the can doesn't push back quite as hard because the top of that can is accelerating and it is moving. If you push against a wall, that's a bit of a different story. But as long as the object you're pushing does not deform, and as long as you do not deform, then this law holds true. So one of the definitions that we need to clarify is the inertial reference frame that's mentioned in the first law. An inertial reference frame is one that is devoid of pseudo forces. A pseudo force is not a real force. That's just what we call it when something seems to move without an outside force. The centrifugal force is the most common one. If you drive a car around a corner with a marble on the dashboard, the marble rolls across the dash. Nothing applied a force to the marble, so the motion is a result of a pseudo-force. In reality, the car is not an inertial reference frame. It is the car that is accelerated around a turn by the force of friction between the tires and the road. The marble is trying to continue in a straight line, which is why it slides around inside a moving car. Okay, so back to the superheroes. If Superman, for example, wants to fly straight up, he needs to propel himself somehow. Rockets use fuel, burning and ejecting from the rocket in incredibly high volumes, which is why fuel efficiency is so important. The upward momentum of the rocket is the same magnitude in opposite direction to the downward momentum of the ejected fuel. This is what we call conservation of momentum. The new momentum up is cancelled exactly by the momentum down. You add the two up, there's still the same amount of momentum we had going into the situation. Stan Lee's problem with Superman is that there was no fuel being ejected and nothing to propel him and that is a valid problem. If you go back and look at the flying characters that Stanley co-created before Thor, we've got the Human Torch, who left a flaming trail behind, so you could see that exhaust trail and justify his flight that way. Iron Man had boosters in his feet, or his boots anyway, so he worked with the same principle as a rocket. The Vulture and Spider-Man somehow flew with magnets. That didn't really work, but we can get to that in another podcast. At least there was something there to say there is a mechanism that allows for flight. Stanley didn't quite understand magnets, but he got the idea that there needs to be something there. So all of his early creations could justify their ability to fly. When Marvel's publisher came to Stanley and asked him to create a Superman killer to compete with DC's nearly godlike character, Stanley scrapped the like part and just went with a god. He used Thor as his template and tried to make a character that can compete with Superman as far as powers and abilities go. He wanted Thor to be able to fly, but didn't want to have Superman's completely inexplicable flight powers to be used. So he came up with an idea that almost works. Thor's hammer could be moving at great speed, so when Thor catches the handle with the wrist strap or the wrist strap itself, the hammer would carry him along with it. Now, the hammer would move slower afterwards because Thor's larger mass would now be part of the momentum calculation. The total momentum would be the same, but since the mass increased, the velocity would have to decrease. Same direction, just different magnitude, but at least there is some excuse or justification for Thor to be able to leave the ground. Unfortunately, the idea breaks down when you're trying to figure out how Thor's hammer starts moving in the first place. So in the comics written by Stan Lee, or many of which which are written by his brother, Stan wasn't that interested in super powerful characters, so he set the character up and passed him off to his brother Larry. But in those early comics, Thor would spin the hammer around over his head and then throw it, and catch the hammer after it's been thrown. The problem with that is that at the point of release, when he's letting that hammer fly in a forward direction, he gets propelled backwards with the same momentum. So you actually get the same effect if you're throwing a baseball or throwing any object because the momentum is equal. And what you're throwing is so much less massive than you are, you don't feel that backward push as much. Now, if you throw something or launch it with high velocity, such as firing a gun, there's a lot more recoil. That's the backwards momentum. It's the conservation of momentum that leads to that recoil effect. So the issue with Thor is that if he releases the hammer to throw it, he's got some of that backward momentum already. As soon as he catches it, all it does is cancel out that backwards momentum. If he's trying to fly horizontally, he doesn't go anywhere at all. If he's trying to fly vertically, then he's got a chance. Because when he throws the hammer up, the backwards force from the hammer back on him and that conservation momentum can travel directly through him and into the Earth because it is in that up-down direction. Then when he catches the hammer, it can lift him away from the Earth. We don't have friction to transfer that momentum back as well he just lifts straight up. So he could potentially fly that way. The issue with that is that only the momentum perpendicular to the surface he's standing on would be carried through. If it's going horizontally, there is friction between Thor's feet and the surface he's standing on. It cancels that out. He doesn't transmit. He doesn't move. So he only flies straight up. Because of that conservation of momentum and because you need that force to change the direction, the same laws of motion applying when in flight, once he's taken off, he'd have no control over his direction or very little control, he could twist and turn to adjust how he goes because of aerodynamics and the air resistance, just like a skydiver can, but he couldn't just arbitrarily land at will. It would be very much like a great big jump, and that's not really flight. You couldn't get the stories where he's going over the city and sees, ooh, there's someone in help, and lands now, changing where he lands. So Thor's flight now works better than it did in Stan Lee's era. It's still not great. The way it works now sort of solves the science problem by throwing the science away. The later writers just said, hey, Mjolnir's already got magic enchantments that turned Don Blake into Thor that allowed him to call down lightning. So they said the flight is just another enchantment. He still needs the hammer to fly. Without the hammer, Thor can't fly. It's the magic that propels Mjolnir, and Thor is just along for the ride. So there's our first episode of the Comic Book Physics Podcast. Join us again tomorrow for day four of the Comic Book Podcast pilot season when I take a look at the first issue of The Spirit, a Golden Age comic which is in the public domain and freely available from www digitalcomicmuseum.com. Presumably it can be found in other places, but digitalcomicmuseum.com spends a lot of time and effort to make sure that the comics that they post are in the public domain. So everything they have there is free and clear to be downloaded and redistributed at will. So the podcasts that you're going to hear on days 4 and 11 of this pilot season, and potentially beyond that, if that's the podcast that wins, will be based on downloading and viewing essentially random comics from that database. They could be either randomly chosen by a spreadsheet on my end or randomly chosen by the listeners saying, hey, please do this one. That's all we have to say for today. So please join us again tomorrow when we go through that podcast with the spirit number one. And then remember after day 14, you will be able to vote on which podcast series continues. So thank you for listening and please join us again tomorrow.